Here we are. It is Wednesday, and Donald Trump emerges victorious once again from the Nevada caucuses. We'll talk all about that. We'll also talk about the latest updates from Cal State University, Los Angeles, where things are heating up. I will be appearing tomorrow, and y'all can stick it if you don't want me to come, because I don't care. So we'll talk about all of that. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The the tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So before I start, I just want to welcome our friends from The Blaze TV who are actually in the room right now filming. In about two months, three months, there's going to be a documentary out about the college tour that we're doing and, and all about kind of what I do during the day. And so that'll be out and it'll be available on iTunes and Amazon, all the usual places. So look out for that. Now let's jump into the news. So Donald Trump wins the Nevada caucuses. He wins big. 46% for Donald Trump, 24% for, for Marco Rubio and 21% for Ted Cruz. Cruz is the one who emerges the big loser from Nevada because the assumption was he was going to do better in Nevada than he did. And, and the problem is a narrative problem for Cruz. And in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about the full-scale delusion that has set in in both the Cruz campaign and the Rubio campaign. And it really is. I mean, it's full-scale delusion at this point. They are under the massive misimpression that Trump is not the leader. And Trump is the leader. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. There's no question that Trump is, is leading. Not only that, he'll probably sweep. Uh, and all of this depresses me to no end. I mean, I think that the amount of Xanax that I need to be prescribed <laughs> just to get through these podcasts is being increased day by day in dramatic fashion. Let's start with Donald Trump talking about his big win last night in the Nevada caucuses. Here is Donald Trump celebrating it, talking about how he loves everybody. He loves you so much. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you because you voted for him. Donald Trump, here we go. We won the evangelicals. We won with young. We won with old. We won with highly educated. We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. And, uh, and there we are, threat alert level orange from, from Donald Trump. And he's right. He won among all of these various voter groups. People are making fun of him a little bit for that last line where he says, I love the poorly educated, because out of context, it sounds like my supporters are a bunch of rubes. But as he says, he won among everybody. And one of his appeals is to people who are, who are high school graduates but not college graduates. So he's the only one in the field who actually would say, I love the people who have not gone to college. And that's an asset for him, for sure. Now, I do have to say Donald Trump is basically Charlie Sheen in action. Donald Trump, let's start with Charlie Sheen. So here's Charlie Sheen talking about winning and how important winning is. And then we'll get to his political comparison, Donald Trump. Here's Charlie Sheen, the Tiger I'm Blood by Master. winning. I win here and I win there. Now what? He wins here, he wins there, he wins, he wins everywhere. Here is Donald Trump basically saying the same thing last night. Thank you very much. Great evening. We will be celebrating for a long time tonight. Have a good time. Have a good time. Get drunk. Let's do this. Woo! You know, we weren't expected a couple of months ago, we weren't expected to win this one. You know that, right? Not true. We weren't. Of course, if you listen to the pundits, we weren't expected to win too much, and now we're winning, winning, winning the country. And soon the country is going to start winning, winning, winning. Charlie Sheen, your next president of the United States. He is a television character. This is one of the reasons people love him, is because he's a television character. He's Charlie Sheen. He's likable. He's interesting. He says whatever crazy crap is going to come out of his mouth. And people were sort of expecting the Charlie Sheen-like implosion. You remember Charlie Sheen had his whole winning campaign, and then he went and he did an event in Detroit, and he had no clue what he was doing, and he sort of fell apart on stage, and that was the end of that. Well, Trump hasn't fallen apart yet because 
he's more intelligent than Charlie Sheen. And also he stays on message a little bit better than Charlie Sheen. But there's no question that his main appeal, Trump's main appeal, is that he's a man. His main appeal is that he is the man. He is the, the, the guy who is going to emasculate everybody else on the stage. And he did that a couple of times yesterday during the Nevada caucuses. Glenn Beck was actually speaking at one of the caucuses for Ted Cruz because this is how caucuses work. You can have caucuses and you can speak at the caucuses for various candidates. So apparently uh, Glenn was speaking at one of the caucuses and in saunters Donald Trump into the same caucus and basically tries to hijack it. So this is what it looked like on MSNBC. It's a madhouse. I think that's the only way to describe it, Rachel. It's it's a, it's an incredible madhouse in here. People are rushing up towards him, trying to touch him, and uh, cell phones are out, elbows are flying. Donald Trump is approaching the microphone, Rachel, as people are actually supposed to be voting, filling out their ballots in here. People are screaming. You're looking at Donald Trump inside this caucus location in Summerlin, Nevada, Rachel. I'm having a hard time hearing you. How's it looking? It's awesome. I'm talking to voters live. Really? Come here. Excuse me. Excuse me. First time voters. Donald. 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 Here he goes. He's grabbing the microphone. Here we go. We'll move over here, guys. Can you hear me? Follow us. Here we go. Um, did people there at the Again, site Rachel, know that Mr. Trump was going to be coming in person? Mr. Trump. Okay. No, we didn't know, Rachel, and I'm just, I'm hearing you spotty in and out a little bit, but let me see if I can get up close to Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump, how are you feeling? feel good. Look at the crowd they have. Do you think you're going to be able to get the win tonight here? We hope so. We have an awfully big crowd. Take what a look. Are, what are your plans? Did you ever expect to see anything like this, Mr. Trump? No, not like this. This is incredible. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Thank Trump. You well, thank you very much, folks. This is an honor. It's great to be with you tonight. We are going to have, hopefully, a historic night in New Hampshire. It was amazing. In, as you know, South Carolina last week. Okay, so it goes on like this, but this is a site where, where Glenn Beck was, and, and Glenn says that apparently a bunch of Trump supporters came in and started pushing people around, which is not super surprising, considering that Donald Trump has told his people in the past to actually push people around. And this is the feel of Trump. The feel of Trump is that he is the man. He walks in, people are taking pictures, and they're obsessed. And it isn't the sort of Beatles mania that, that Rubio tends to generate. The, the women fainting in the aisles, it's much more like, look at this, I'm, I'm by the star, I'm here, I'm by the star. It's not, it's not love, it's, it's almost worship. It's, it's, it's a different thing. Like the, the, the Rubio thing is, oh, isn't he cute, oh, isn't he nice? You don't get the same sort of feel with Ted Cruz because people back Cruz's mission more than they back Cruz, I think. With Trump, it's all about the man. And so you're just drawn to him like, like planets orbiting a star. Well, what, what, what Trump is more than anything else, as I've said repeatedly, is Trump is the appeal of the masculine. And you see it last night. At one point last night, Trump specifically called Ted Cruz a baby. Ted Cruz replied with something from Austin Powers with a picture of a fat bastard from Austin Powers. Says, hope he doesn't try to eat me because in Austin Powers, that's what fat bastard says. He's going to eat babies. But the, but the point is that, that Trump is the person who calls people soft, weak little babies. He said, oh, he's a soft, he's weak little baby. He's a soft, weak little baby. And this is who Trump is. And because he is like this, he is winning. We've been discussing this, I think, for weeks at this point. So I'm not going to belabor the point. But the fact is that all the other candidates are busy apologizing. They're all busy fighting with each other. 
And Trump is busy just being the, the toxic masculine in the race. He's the, he's the toxic man in the race. We had feminists for decades telling us that aggression has no place in politics. Aggression has no place in American life. This is why women, single ladies, if you're wondering why it is that men won't directly ask you out for a date, why they all say, oh, let's just go out for coffee. It's not really a date. We're just going to go out for coffee. It's because feminists told them that this is what women want. And then women end up marrying the guy who actually asks them out for coffee on a date and is aggressive the way a man should be. Right? But that same thing has happened to politics. In politics, the male aggressive instinct, the idea that men are, are aggressive and forward-moving, all of that has been left by the wayside. And instead, we get Marco Rubio, who's a very feminized candidate. Marco Rubio is an estrogen candidate. He is not a testosterone candidate. Marco Rubio is the guy who goes around and talks about his feelings, talks about how he understands your feelings. And Trump is the guy who he says, yeah, I understand you, and I'm going to win for you. And what, the part of that that people get is not the he understands you, he may or may not, but the I'm going to win for you, they get, because that's a masculine instinct. It's a masculine, aggressive tone. Now, what's amazing about Trump, of course, is that you can't trust him on this, because Trump says that he can change it anytime he pleases. He says that he might tone it down when he's president of the United States. He's been saying this the last couple of weeks. We just heard you at a piece a few minutes ago calling Ted Cruz a little baby. You talked this week also about wanting to punch a protester who was misbehaving at one of your events. You've said when you become the nominee and we become president, you'll change your tone and temperament. But I'm watching how well you're doing. I'm watching how your life has gone with that tone and temperament. Why would you change that if it's working so well for you? Well, I have to tell you, maybe I shouldn't be changing it too much. That protester was out of line. He was hitting people. He was screaming uh, during the speech, and everybody wanted to hear what I was saying. And he was screaming horribly, and the cops were so gentle the way they took him out. And when they took him out, he was he had a big smile on his face, waving to the people, you know, like he's having a good time. They were booing him. Now, I said in the old days, he would have been taken out on a stretcher. Right. But today, we're not even allowed to touch him. I think it's disgraceful, but, that's, but that's, nevertheless. That's, that style, <laughs> Mr. Trump, has worked well for you in your life. Why change it when you become president? Well, I think I might tone it down a little bit. You know, I was against, uh, we had a total of 17 people, and now we're down to six. And, uh, you know, I may, I may very well change it, but uh, right now, it seems to be working pretty well. <laughs> so you're supposed to trust him more than you trust your wife, more than you trust your child. He can swivel on a dime. He says to you that he can swivel on a dime. And he's not really capable of swiveling on a dime, not in terms of persona. In terms of policy, yes. In terms of persona, no. When Donald Trump says he's going to become less brash and less, less authoritarian in his manner, it's not true. When he says it's, it's disgraceful that we can't send protesters out on a stretcher, why is that disgraceful? <laughs> like, that's the cop's job is to take protesters away if they're disrupting events. That's, that's of course, their job. So it's, it's really, it's, it's quite amazing. However, it doesn't matter. All of my critiques of Trump to the side, the fact is, that Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio have no idea how to stop this guy. No clue at all whatsoever how to stop this guy. Here is Ted Cruz last night after finishing third in, in Nevada talking about how he's the only one who can beat Trump, and, and we'll explain why this is wrong in a second. Undeniable reality that the first four states have shown is that the only campaign that has beaten Donald Trump and the only campaign that can beat Donald Trump is this campaign. If you are one of the 65% of Republicans across this country who doesn't think Donald is the best candidate to go head-to-head -head with Hillary, who believes we do better in elections when we actually nominate a conservative, 
Then the first four states have performed a vital function of narrowing this race and presenting a clear choice. You can choose between two Washington dealmakers or one proven, consistent conservative. Okay, and I agree with all of this. I agree. Of course, you can choose between Rubio, who's soft, and Trump, who's not a conservative, or Cruz, who is the most conservative. You can do all these things. Of course, that's true. Of course, that's true. People aren't doing that. The reason people aren't doing that is because they want the man in the race, not the conservative in the race. These are two different things. And this means that tomorrow night, as I've said, the only way that Ted Cruz is going to be able to win this race is if he acknowledges that he is now running from behind. Either has to knock Trump out or Trump is going to win by decision. Okay, look at the future states. If you look at these states, look at Texas. Okay, in Texas, Cruz just got Greg Abbott's endorsement, the governor of Texas. Cruz right now in one poll is up 37 to 29 over Trump. He needs to get to 50%. It's not going to happen. Another poll today, Cruz 29, Trump 28, Rubio 25. In Cruz's home state of Texas, where he should be dominating. Right? That, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. And if he thinks that he can be second place all across the SEC, all across the southern states, and then suddenly vault into first place when Rubio drops out, Rubio is not dropping out. Rubio is not going to drop out. It's not going to happen. And yet the Cruz campaign seems to think that's what's going to happen for no reason at all. They think that if we do better than, than Rubio does in these next few states, Rubio will drop out. It's insane. Rubio's not going anywhere. Are you kidding? He's picking up all the establishment endorsements. He's picking up Jeb Bush's cash. He thinks that if he carries through these primaries, once we get to the winner take all, he wins Florida and maybe he wins Ohio and maybe he wins New York and maybe he wins California. He figures that Cruz will drop out. He says that that basically he thinks Cruz will have shot everything he has to shoot and then we'll be and then we'll be done and, and Cruz will move out and he'll pick up Cruz's vote. By the way, even that math is wrong for Rubio. If Cruz gets out, half his vote probably goes back to Trump is the truth if you look at the, the internal polling of this campaign. So Cruz is operating off an assumption that is incorrect, and Rubio is also operating off an assumption that is incorrect. You've got Rubio operating off the assumption that Cruz is going to drop. Neither of them is going to drop. So instead, they're just slap-fighting each other, saying, okay, if I knock you out of the race, then I'll pick up your support. We'll go ahead and we'll beat Trump. Not true. First of all, in Nevada, both of them could have been out, and Trump still would have won. Right? The fact is that Trump won more than their combined vote in Nevada. But they're delusional. So Rubio himself... I mean, this is, you want to hear crazy towns. Here's Mark, you want to hear delusional. So you got Cruz who says he's going to win on the basis of conservatism. Here's Marco Rubio saying he doesn't have to win anything in order to win the nomination. Here's Marco Rubio, senator from Florida. Well, Senator Rubio, the, the argument that Senator Cruz is making, he says, look, I won Iowa. At least I have that under my belt. We need to congratulate you on your last two, two performances getting second place. But at some point, do you need to start winning? And where can you do that? And we know you've picked up some high-profile endorsements since Monday. We can show you a graphic of that. Senator Orrin Hatch, Bob Dole, Tom Tillis, and the list goes on. Where do you see that you can win? Well, first of all, we have to understand that you don't win the nomination by how many states you win. Now, ultimately, when you get to winner-take-all starting March 15th, you have to win states because those states will award all of their delegates to the winner of that state. But between now and then, you just said it right now, in Nevada, I got five <coughs> delegates and Ted Cruz got five delegates. So obviously not as many right. as Donald Trump, but it takes over 1,200 delegates to be the nominee. We're not even close to getting to that number. Right. There are states out there right now that if you were to win that state, it would more than make up the difference between first place and third place. 
in the delegate count. So right now, all these states are proportional. They are awarding delegates on proportion, meaning people are picking up delegates, and the count is still relatively close in terms of the states that are laying out but, there. But where are you going to do well, 15th, Senator Rubio? Where are you going to do well on, on, on Super Tuesday? You've got a lot of delegates up for grabs. Yeah, where do you think next right. Tuesday, where are you going to do well? Well, we feel great in every one of those states and that we're going to pick up delegates in all of them. Now, some we feel better than others in terms of really challenging to finish even stronger than we have in the past. You know what I'm not going to do and get into this Joe Namath style, you know, prediction of we're going to win here or win there. We've never played that expectation game. I'm going to tell you, though, we feel really good about next uh, Tuesday. We're six days away. We have an organization and a good team and a good plan for every state mm -hmm. on okay, the map. this is all delusional So crap. we'll find out. Okay, let me stop it here. This is all delusion. Okay, you need to win this many states. You need to win eight states in order for you to even be eligible for the nomination under current Republican Party rules. Right now, Marco Rubio has won this many states. He has won zip, zilch, nada. Ted Cruz has won this many. He has won one state. Donald Trump has won three. There are 14 primaries coming up on Super Tuesday. Donald Trump is currently leading or in a statistical dead heat in all 14 of these states. All of them. Okay, so this is, this is all nonsense. The idea that Rubio is going to just carry through and he'll win a few delegates here and a few delegates there. Right now, you know, I'm going to give you the numbers as to where Marco Rubio stands in Florida. So here, Florida primaries, we'll look at the real clear politics average, okay? So here's the real clear politics average on the Florida primary. Looking it up right now as we speak because this is how technology works, gang. Okay, here we go. The latest poll from Florida. This is before, before Donald Trump won New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada. Okay, latest poll numbers. This is from January 21st. So before he won any of these states. CBS News. Donald Trump, 41. Cruz, 22. Rubio, 18. Florida Atlantic University from that same period. Donald Trump, 48. Ted Cruz, 16. Marco Rubio, 11. So where is all this overweening confidence coming from, from Rubio? I'm going to lose every state in the SEC primaries, and then I'm going to overcome a 30-point deficit, and I'm going to beat Donald Trump. What in the world? These people are so delusional. They're out of their minds, and they're letting their egos get in the way of actually winning here. They're, getting, they're letting their egos get totally in the way. Because the fact is, if Rubio doesn't drop out, Cruz has no shot. If Cruz doesn't drop out, Rubio has no shot. And Marco Rubio said yesterday, he was asked specifically about this, he said, Cruz Rubio or Rubio Cruz, never going to happen. Never going to happen. Now, I do think that Ted Cruz, because the next few states are in a place he should do well, they're in the South, what he needs to do right now is he needs to hit Trump so hard. He needs to hit Trump as hard as he possibly can. Enough with this nonsense about slapping Rubio. Rubio's irrelevant. He's not going to win enough votes from Rubio to overcome Trump in any of these states. He needs to slap Trump, and he needs to slap Trump hard. Trump is the nominee. He is the nominee. You have to work from that. For some reason, the Cruz camp, they keep acting as though Cruz is the nominee right now. He's won one state. Trump has won three, and he's losing in most of the other states in the SEC primary. So if he wants to take down Trump, if you want to take down the biggest set of balls in the race, you got to kick the balls as hard as you possibly can to be as blunt as humanly possible. And I want to thank, by the way, I think both Glenn and Rush Limbaugh read this column that I wrote yesterday on the air this morning about what Cruz needs to do to Trump if he actually wants to win. Here's what I said. I'll read it to you because it's expressed better than I will spontaneously. What I said is, all of this means that Cruz will actually have to beat Trump outright with Rubio still in the race, not wait for the never-going-to-happen Rubio flameout. He can do it, but only by recognizing that Trump is the biggest set of balls in the race and the only way to defeat him is by kicking him directly in the groin on national television. That means Cruz needs to unleash everything, up to and including the kitchen sink. He's going to have to unman Trump. He's going to have to outmasculine Trump. So here's what he should say. Here's what, the crew, here's what Ted should say. He, by the way, he's already perceived as mean. 
He's already perceived as nasty. Just embrace it. Go with it. Okay, this whole, I, no, 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 I'm not a liar. I'm, I'm sincere. The more you say that, the more of a liar you appear to be, even if you actually are sincere and not a liar. First rule, my first rule of political debate, never accept the premise of the other side. The minute people started calling Cruz a liar, he should have said, no, you're a liar. No, Trump is a liar. Rubio's a liar. Instead, he, no, I'm not a liar, and I'll prove to you. I'll fire this person and this per Fail. Okay, so here's what he needs to say to Trump. You ready? This is what he should say for Trump. He should memorize this. Put it on a note card. He should do a Sarah Palin and write it on his hand. And then he should say this directly to Donald Trump, because this is the only way to defeat Trump. Hey, Donald, for months, everybody has been tiptoeing around you out of courtesy. Enough of that crap. We all know, everyone in America knows, you're a spoiled brat who has never had anybody say no to him. You're a pathetic, bloated old sack of guts who stood on daddy's money to make billions, and then you can't shut up about how you're a self-made man. Okay, you're a ridiculous dolt. You lie about your politics. You brag about having sex with married women. You shaft little old ladies for cash. And every time you're attacked, your face turns as red as the Kool-Aid man, and you start bloviating and trying to talk over people, and then you cite polls, like polls make you not these things. The polls don't mean you're not all of these things. You are all of these things. You're just as much of a ridiculous, pathetic clown as you ever were. You're a reality TV star bloviating on national TV, and everybody is laughing at you. They're laughing at you. And what will happen then, because this is how Trump operates, is he'll start citing the polls. You say, look, you're citing the polls there again. You have to call out his tactic before he does it. Right? You're citing the polls again as though this makes you not these things. I don't care what the polls say. See, unlike you, I don't rely for polls on how I decide to live my life. It just shows how pathetic and sad you are. You have no core principles. For you, everything is about, oh, people like me. Oh, the polls. Who gives a crap? You're a sad old man. And all your billions of dollars aren't going to make you sleep happy at night just because you, just you can buy your friends. You can buy the Clintons to come to your wedding. You have to be absolutely scornful and nasty. You have to step on Trump. And the minute that Trump starts to turn red, you need to say, look at this, Donald. You're, you're, you look like the Kool-Aid man. I mean, this is ridiculous. You're starting to you look at like a red light. If, if you do that, then for the first time, you will have unmanned him. But the problem is every time everybody attacks Trump, it's Jeb Bush who then goes crying about his mommy or Ted Cruz who does it like a, like a debate club lawyer would where he says things like, now, Donald, you know, adults don't interrupt each other. Okay, school marm, like no one cares. That doesn't work. Donald Trump is the master of the playground insult. You need to best him at his own game. When you do that, he has no other game. There is no other game for Trump. The only, Trump is, the only game for Trump is being the manliest man who ever manned on this earth. And the only way you can stop that is by emasculating him. End of story. Does anyone have the guts to do that? I don't think so. I don't think Cruz will do that tomorrow night. I think it'll be just another cakewalk for Trump. I think that the, the Cruz camp thinks that their main opposition here is Rubio because they're stupid. I think the Rubio camp thinks that their main opposition here is Cruz because they're stupid. I think they're both outstupiding each other. And Trump is just sailing right over the top, happy dappy do all the way to the nomination. And then we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go to Cleveland and cover this thing. We'll do the podcast from Cleveland, by the way. We'll go to Cleveland for the RNC and watch Donald Trump accept the mantle of the Conservative Party in America, in Cleveland, in the middle of the summer, with the humidity, and the poverty, and the Trumpity, and it's just gonna be horrible. So. There's your picker-upper for, for today, gang. <laughs> I get a lot of notes saying I have to listen to Shapiro, and then I listen to Clavin to kind of pick me back up off the floor after, after all of that. Well, the problem is that Clavin might inflate your hopes a little bit too much, so let me grind those into dust for you. I actually have a mortar and a pestle right here. I'm going to take your hope. I'm just going to until there is nothing left of your hope. And then, finally, when we put your hope aside, we can get down to the brass tacks reality that it's time for you, yes, you, to stand up and fight 
to join the movement that we're creating to actually fight on behalf of conservatism and not on behalf of bloviating tyrants like Donald Trump. It's time to actually stand up. And not it's not a matter of worship for Ted Cruz. I think Ted Cruz is a terrible candidate. In a thousand ways, I think Ted Cruz is a terrible candidate. But I think he believes a lot of the right things. And I don't think Trump believes any of the right things. I think Trump believes in Trump. And that's not a right thing. That's the essence of idolatry. Okay, moving over to the other side of the aisle. What makes all of this so tragic, honestly, really tragic, what makes all of it so tragic is that on the other side of the aisle, you have a bunch of old fruitcake nut jobs. Okay, seriously, it's, it's Hillary Clinton who is, as I've said before, spawned from the mouth of hell. And she is here, she's the most corrupt political figure in American political history against an old socialist, like old school USSR vacationing socialist, Bernie Sanders. And we can't take these people? We can't take these people? Our best shot at these people is going to be the, the over-loud, brash, old man bag of wind who throws old ladies off their property for limousine. But like that guy is the guy. So let's move over to the other side of the aisle. Last night, aside from Trump being on national TV doing this routine, aside from that, you had Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton having another one of these town hall events. And it wasn't a debate because their debates aren't really debates either. It was a town hall event, and Hillary Clinton spoke about a variety of things. So did Sanders. Here's Bernie, just to give you a hint as to how extreme Bernie Sanders is. Here's Bernie Sanders talking about national security, talking about the CIA. Here we go. It's been reported that in 1974, that's a while ago, <laughs> you said the he CIA like is a dangerous institution that has got to go. You went on to say the CIA was a, accountable to no one except right-wing lunatics who use it to prop up fascist dictatorships. Do you stand by those comments no, that I you don't. said back then? That was 40 years ago. You know, since then, I've served eight years as mayor of the city of Burlington. I've spent 16 years in the House and nine years in the United States Senate. But let me tell you this. Uh, I do have concerns about past activities of the CIA. CIA was involved in the overthrow of a gentleman named Mohammed Mozadek way back when in Iran. Overthrew him on behalf of British oil. And you know what happened? That led to the Iranian uh, revolution, and we are where we are today. Okay, we can stop the it CIA there. So he's, this is a guy, first of all, the idea that I've evolved in my thinking because I was in Congress. Tell me why the CIA is good then. He's telling me all the reasons why he was right back in 74, that the CIA has to go. Right? This, is, this is the guy who is second place in the Democratic primary, saying, that the, saying the CIA had to be destroyed. By the way, what he's saying about Mossadegh is crap. Okay, Mossadegh was a Soviet-installed agent, essentially, and he was going to nationalize all of the oil resources in Iran, and the CIA helped overthrow him in favor of the Shah of Iran, and we had a full 20 years of peace before Jimmy Carter decided, great idea, let's let the Shah go and let the Ayatollahs rise. So blaming it on the CIA back in the 50s is ridiculous. Blaming it on Jimmy Carter is a little bit less ridiculous. So that's Bernie Sanders, and then there's Bernie Sanders talking about Donald Trump and the other Republicans. Here is Bernie Sanders on that topic. By the way, we have sorry, been before we start, Notice that Chris Cuomo is interviewing him. You want to know everything you have to know about the corruption of the media? This man, Chris Cuomo, his brother is the Democratic governor of New York, and his father is the former Democratic governor of New York. Right? The, the, the media is just honeycombed with relatives of leftist politicians. Here's Bernie Sanders talking about Donald Trump and Obama, and everybody's racist against Obama. I'm dealing in the last seven years with an unprecedented level of obstructionism against President Obama.
literally, literally, it turns out, on the day that Obama was inaugurated, Republicans came together and said, what are we going to do? And what they concluded is, we're going to obstruct, 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 make it as difficult as he could to uh, do anything. Now, we have had to fight through that, and I've been at the president's side time and time again, getting a stimulus bill through when we were in the midst of a horrendous recession, Affordable Care Act, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what you are seeing today in this Supreme Court situation is nothing more than the continuous and unprecedented obstructionism that President Obama has gone through. And this, and this is on top of this birther issue, which we heard from Donald Trump and others, a racist effort to, tie, to try to delegitimize the president of the United States. Can you imagine that? To say, well, he's Being not really there. the president. Oh, and then I need my fruit cup, and I need it right now. And I can't believe that I've gone this long on this stage with you people without my delicious cup of fruit. How long do you expect me to go without the fruit cup? I like the cantaloupe. I don't like the honeydew melon quite as much, but I love the cantaloupe. So you know, Bernie Sanders is out there raving and ranting about birthers. Okay, no one opposes Obama's judicial nominees because they think he was born in Kenya. It's the stupidest garbage ever. I'm not a birther. I never was a birther. You can find videos online of birthers ripping into me for suggesting that Obama was born in Hawaii, which he clearly was. I oppose Obama's nominee because he's a far-left radical, just like Sanders, just like Hillary, just like the entire Democratic Party. They shouldn't be picking judicial nominees because they just use the judiciary to cram down whatever leftist gar garbage they feel like that day. But these are the people, like, really? These are the people we can't beat? These are the unbeatable Democrats? And then let's go to the front runner. Here's Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, she started the war in Libya. It was her war. She wanted the war in Libya to prove that she was a rough-and-tumble go-getter when she was the Secretary of State so that she could run for president. Only one problem, Libya turned into an absolute garbage heap. Four Americans got killed in Benghazi, and now it's run by terrorists. Here's Hillary last night defending the anarchy in Libya while wearing Chairman Mao's blue coat. Here we go. Libya is a little different. Libya um, actually held elections. They elected moderates. They have tried to piece together a government against a lot of really serious uh, challenges internally coming from the outside with uh, terrorist groups and, uh, and other bad actors. They're working to try to unify the different factions inside Libya so that they can take united action against the terrorists and try to get the, the east and the west of the country working together. You know, they're a rich country. They have oil. They're not um, without resources, but they've got to get over their internal disputes. And the United States, <laughs> we can pause this Europe, right here. and other This is total. Libya is a rich country. Did you know that? Were you aware Libya is just a paradise on earth? It's a rich country. Everybody there is living just beautiful standards of living. They're, they're really rich because they have oil. She sounds like Trump here, by the way. Like, this, it's this, like, anybody who says that Hillary's an expert on foreign affairs and Trump is an ignoramus, no, they're both ignorami, right, for the, the Latin plural. Okay, so this, this, is, this is such nonsense. But Hillary Clinton, okay, the re, she says, oh, they elected a moderate government, and now they're just trying to figure out how to work together. No, the moderate government has been for the past several months meeting in a port city and sometimes meeting on a boat offshore because terrorists, including Al-Qaeda and ISIS, have taken over the entire country because of you, you doof. Okay, so that's, that's the, the front runner. She's the front runner. She's the next president, this lady. 
And then there's Hillary Clinton doing the I'm a victim routine. This lady, is she's, she's been a victim her whole life, from her birth in, in the richest part of Chicago to her difficulties at Wellesley College to her brutal marriage to the governor of Arkansas and president of the United States to her difficult run for Senate on the back of her husband to her difficult appointment as secretary of state to her difficult run for the presidency this time. This is a woman who's really had it tough. She's been subject to just brutal double standards her entire life. And another one of those double standards is this, this Bernie Sanders character asking to see her speeches at Goldman Sachs because that's just sexism. I mean, let's be real. That's just asking to see speeches at your Wall Street firms that you suggest are terrible and evil and you want to regulate. That, the only reason you would do that is because you hate the Clintons. That's the only reason you do that. Here's Hillary saying just that. Earlier tonight, I asked Senator Sanders, will oh, you smile. give oh. your transcripts of speeches? That's what you said. When the others give, then I'll give. Right. He said he doesn't have the bank speeches. If he can find any of the speeches that he did give for money, he will gladly give the transcripts up. So will you agree to release these transcripts? They have become an issue. Sure, if everybody does it, and that includes the Republicans, because we know they have uh, made a lot of speeches. But look, what is this about? This is about whether... I have the best plan to go after Wall Street, whether I have a record that already demonstrates my willingness to take on Wall Street and financial uh, interests. And there's no question about that. I did it before the 08 crash. Okay, then she's going to jab her now. So, they, so in the, answer, the short answer is no, right? No, you're not going to see them. By the way, she's running in a Democratic primary. Why do the Republicans have to turn over? Their, they're not the ones asking you for your transcripts. It's your opponents in the Democratic primary who is asking you to do this. And she doesn't have a record of going after Wall Street. Are you kidding? You know how much Wall Street money this lady has in her coffers? Hillary is one of the chief recipients of Wall Street cash in this race and in 2008. She, for goodness sake, there's a picture of her. We've shown it on the program. There's a picture of her with a shovel at the groundbreaking for Goldman Sachs. Clearly, they see her as an enemy. So if these are the people the Republicans can't beat, they don't deserve to win. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is a sad, sack group of folks. And then just to, to put a depressing capper on this day, Chris Matthews, a man who brushes his hair with his shoe, uh, he was on yesterday. <laughs> ah, he was on yesterday, and he was promoting the idea of a Hillary John Kasich unity ticket, which shows you how far the Republican Party has come. Donald Trump will be our nominee, and John Kasich, who is the governor of Ohio, will be Hillary Clinton's running mate. A man who brushes his hair with his, with his, with his loafer will tell you all about it. Here we go. How does John Kasich help an effort to defeat Donald Trump, if that's your goal? Well, I think, uh, Chris, uh, ultimately, I'm hoping that we get this down to a two-person race. Uh, we have a governor who has a proven record of leadership against a rhetorical candidate. Uh, we have someone who's demonstrated his conservative credentials uh, against one who, who claims he is, but uh, it's pretty difficult to find. We have somebody who is respectful of the process, who's built coalitions way back in the time we spent together in the <coughs> Congress of the United States to the time he's been able to lead uh, the, the great state of Ohio. So ultimately, I don't know what the establishment, I hear people throwing that term around, moving toward Rubio. Now, there's a lot of us that think the best the best way for us to win, not the traditional Republican states, but you and I have had discussion before, it's the purple states. you got to get somebody there that's a unifier, yeah. that appeals to the broader section of the party, and John's the guy. Hey, I've talked about him being on the ticket with Hillary, so I do like Kasich. I, I'm not sure how, the, how he fits into your party anymore. I wonder if your party has room for a moderate like Kasich anymore. I just wonder. I look at all the well, excitement for Cruz and, and, and Trump and... People to far to the right of John Kasich seem to be getting all the noise. It's unbelievable. 
Well, well, I, I, I think uh, first okay, of all, we shut Trump down Mr. Gets, Potato uh, Head over here on the right. Um, but he, the, John Kasich, why, why can't he just be part of the Democratic Party when you have extremists like Trump, you know, who agrees on policy with everything John Kasich says? He's totally extreme. But John Kasich, he's right there in the middle. But Trump's extreme. He's so extreme. He's so extreme. That, that's why I think that Hillary should do a joint ticket with John Kasich and they should run together. And then I will follow along with this drool pen that I like to carry from time to time. It was given me my wife Kathleen the first time that I found out that, that my leg tingled from President Obama. She said, here, take this drool pen. And then you can sort of run around. You can give it to President Obama and you can, you can use his drool to brush your hair sometimes because it looks so crazy on TV. And then you go home and you go to sleep and then you wake up the next day. You roll out of bed. You're still wearing that same suit you've been wearing for three months. You never go to the dry cleaner. Who goes to the dry Cleaners. Dry cleaners is a stupid place. What even drew? If you're not washing it with water, then is it really clean? Let me ask you that. Your thoughts, Michael Isikoff. So, this is Chris Matthews promoting the Hillary Kasich ticket. This is how far we've come in American politics. Oh, happy day. Okay, time for some things that I like and finally some things that I hate. So, first, something that I like. This week we've been doing kind of pop music that I like because I know everyone thinks that I'm a Bond villain, which I may very well be, but I wouldn't tell you about it. And I certainly wouldn't tell you about my evil plans if I were going to launch them against you, at least not before killing you. This is the mistake Bond villains always make. Kill him first, then talk about your plans. In any case, I don't just listen to classical music. I also listen to pop music and, and particularly kind of old pop music. So we, we've done Carol King this week. I think I've talked about Jim Croce in the past. Yesterday we did the Doobie Brothers. So today it's James Taylor, who I know. I know he's a Democrat. I know that, that John Kerry sends him over to Paris to play stupid songs for... The Parisians, after a bunch of them get killed in a terrorist attack. But Fire and Rain is a great song. And here's James Taylor doing Fire and Rain. We can play it. Yeah. <laughs> Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song I just can't remember who to send it to I've seen fire and I've seen rain Great song I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again Okay, so there's your feel-good moment of the day. Now back to things that are terrible. So Casey... <laughs> Actually, one more thing that's kind of funny. Casey Affleck, who is the... the more ta Casey Affleck is actually a better actor than Ben. He doesn't get credit for this, but Casey's a much better actor. Ben is truly a wooden actor. Casey is, is a pretty good actor. Uh, and it, there, what's that movie? There, there's one he did with Morgan Freeman that's actually a, a very good crime film uh, from a few years back. In any case, Casey Affleck was on with Stephen Colbert, the worst host in, in Late Night. Um, and, and it's obvious. I, I love this. This is not a thing I hate. This is a thing I love, that Casey Affleck was totally stoned before he appeared on this show. There's no other way to explain this behavior. Here is Casey Affleck with Stephen Colbert. How are you? Well, fine. Yeah, yeah good. Thanks for dressing up. <laughs> I can't tell whether this choice is like the least so celebrity thing to do or the most celebrity thing to do. It's because not, it's yeah. very casual. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. 
You look great. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm not saying you don't look good. No, sort you look of. very. No, you're I'm not saying that at all. The but people often. I'm not rude at all. No, I'm just you're saying I'm being rude. But no, not at all. A little bit. Not at all. What do you think? No. What do you think? Not at all. Okay. It is just some playful ribbing. Is this Casey mine? Casey Affleck. Let's find out. <laughs> this is why. This is why. This is why. Okay, fine. Cheers. Good. You can have that. You this want some? Huh? Thirsty? It's just water. That's all right. It's just water. Uh -oh. I actually like this look. This is like you look like um, like when you're younger and they give you like the little. It's just water. Did you want uh, something no, better than I'm, water? No, that's fine. Okay, thank you. You look how, like. How long are we gonna talk about this? Until I get to my joke. Okay, good. Does it always take this long? It's not a joke. It's okay. not a joke, though. You really look yes. like a street corner Jesus. You look like. <laughs> you do. I, I, the, the movie Triple Nine, which yeah. we're here for. Let's get down to the heat of the meat terrific right now. Terrific picture. Yeah. It is a terrific yeah. picture. Yeah. And you're terrific in it. Thank you. You're welcome. Was that I'm so hard? you. Something goes so well. Going. I don't understand why. We should probably end up fighting at the end of this. <laughs> like bare knuckle boxing. I don't want to do that. Do you have a lot of brothers and sisters? I know you got one that one, I know that's of, but it. that's it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, just curious. Um, <laughs> You want to fight me? No. <laughs> it feels like this is where this is going. Oh no! But I, I'm wearing glasses. I don't like the fight. I'm wearing glasses, so you couldn't right. possibly throw a punch at me. No. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie very much. I've only seen an hour and ten minutes of it because I had to stop uh, and help my son with a science right. project. But um, it's true, true story. Right. But I really like it. You're you're you. you're doing a fantastic job in this Thanks movie. Thanks so much. I really hope your character ends up okay in the end. Don't tell me. I won't tell you. Your cop, your character's like I'm a cop of the moral guy. compass. You're the good guy in yeah, this movie. Yeah, I'm the good guy. There are a lot of bad guys. Yeah. A very formidable cast of bad characters. Yeah, yeah, played by some very formidable actors. Yes, a couple yeah. of superheroes. We got Gal Gadot as a superhero. Anthony Mackie's a superhero. Sure, sure, Falcon. She would tell Four, who was the who was once a free man. We can stop it here. This is, it just goes on like this. But I think that all guests of Stephen Colbert should show up high. I think that it would dramatically improve his program. His program is such terrible garbage. It's so terrible. So the more people who are stoned on Stephen Colbert's program, the better the program is. He's got no viewers anyway, so you might as well experiment. I mean, why not? Okay, now something that I hate. All right, we'll, the, we'll make it quick. So there's a new BuzzFeed video. BuzzFeed has been putting out these videos basically saying that if you're a white person, you suck. These are, this is the nature of the video. So there's a new video out in which BuzzFeed shames white people by calling them arrogant and controlling and selfish and awful in every possible way. We'll play a little bit of this video. It's, um, it's garbage. Here we go. So when you see the word white, what comes to mind? Deep breath. I... How do I feel about the word white? Words play a big part in our lives, sometimes triggering immediate negative or positive responses. We asked people of color from around the world to respond to the word white. Privilege, I think power, access, luxury. A race, some good, some bad. Can't be critical of all whites, but there is a strong element of racism in white Australia. This guy looks like a vice president of the uh, bank right Vicky there. Azalea and Miley Cyrus. White is a way of being, doesn't always mean skin color. It's a way of thinking. When I think about white, I think about maybe a group of people who I would love to be in harmony with, but don't always feel like they feel the same way towards me. White, run, controlled, 
system. Not understanding. They don't acknowledge what has happened in the past. They don't try to understand as well. They just push it off and say that it's in the past. What I think when I say the word white, first word that comes to mind would be privilege, oh, arrogance, naive. So there's just several things throughout the course of history. Okay, and it continues along these lines. Just a bunch of people saying advantage. that white people are the worst. White people suck universally. Okay, gang, if white people suck universally, I would like our civilization back, meaning like white European civilization. You guys can't have any of it. How about that? Because it turns out that Western civilization was created by these evil, terrible white people, and all of you are on camera for BuzzFeed right now because of the benefits of things created by white folks. The point here is not that white people are better than non-white people. God forbid. It's of course not true. The point here is that we're all supposed to live in this culture that we share together, a civilization that we share, and the race of the people doesn't matter. And if you're going to go to all whites are bad, let me just tell you something. Whites have created all of the things that you live with. Okay, whites are creating the cam. Whites created the camera that you, that is being used to film this segment of you, right? The 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 website that, that you are putting this up on BuzzFeed is run by a white guy, Ben Smith. Okay, the idea that white people are universally awful. You're the racist. I mean, if this is what you believe, if you believe that white is white privilege and white power and white people are awful and they just don't understand, screw you. There are plenty of white people who actually agree with you on all this stuff. You got this crazy white tattooed guy there who's saying the same stuff that you're saying. Is he bad because he's white or is he not white? How does this work exactly? The way that the left likes to work this is that they have feel, all these people have feelings about white people. Let me tell you something. You replace the word white with black there and that's the most racist video you ever saw. You, you, you get a bunch of white people say, what do you think of black? Well, when I think of black, I think of people who don't understand me or my civilization. When I think of black people, I think of you know, self-centeredness and privilege and an expectation that they deserve more. You can't say that about black people because it's not true. It's not true universally about black people. There are black people who believe these things. There are white people who believe these things. There are Hispanic people who believe these things. This is the problem with thinking of people in terms of group identity. This is the problem with thinking of people solely in terms of skin color. And it is pathetic. It is pathetic that 50 years after Martin Luther King's death, we're going back to Martin Luther King, reopening the books and just tearing out everything that he stood for and saying, let's remove all of that and go back to group identity. But this time, it's revenge of the group identity. This time it isn't the whites who are going to be racist against all the other groups. It's going to be all the other groups who are racist against the whites. How despicable and disgusting. And by the way, how terrible for all of these people. If you feel that you live in a system created by white privilege, how are you ever going to succeed? If you internalize the idea that society is out to victimize you because of all these evil white people, how exactly do you expect to succeed in the real world? And this, this sort of stuff, what it's really designed to do is make white people feel guilty. For things that... I haven't done. You haven't done. If you've done bad things, if you're a white person who's done racist things, feel guilty. Okay? I haven't. I don't feel guilty for this stuff because I wasn't involved in this stuff. And guess what? If you're a minority person and you do bad stuff, feel guilty for the things in which you were involved. But you don't have to feel guilty about everything that's happened in the past or stuff that other people do. Be an individual, a decent individual. If we were all decent individuals, life would be fine. The minute you start labeling us part of groups, it is indecent to do that. It is indecent to do that. That video is indecent. It's immoral. It's actually evil. It's an evil video to have all these people talking about how white people are just white privilege and white power. White people don't understand me. Screw you. Screw you. Because it turns out that maybe I understand your perspective and I disagree. Is that possible? If you're of the left, that I just disagree with you? Is that possible? That I think that you're misguided? That the things that you're preaching here are wrong? Is that possible too? Or do I just hold a universally biased view? And you're completely unbiased. You're completely objective about your life. You're objective about the universe, but we... The white group, 
we're the ones who are, who are completely not objective. We're subjective, you're objective. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Every individual is an individual, and the level of melanin in your skin makes no difference to whether you're right or whether you're wrong. You're either right or you're wrong on the merits of your rightness or wrongness, not based on your ethnicity or your race or your skin color. That's absurd. Well, we'll be back here tomorrow, just hours before we go over to Cal State University of Los Angeles, and we'll give you the update on, on the run-up to that. Plus, tonight is a town hall event with some of the Republican candidates. Donald Trump isn't showing up. He's such a manly man that he's avoiding Megyn Kelly again at this town hall event. So we'll discuss all of that. Always lots to discuss. Plus, the mailbag. And folks, let me just say at the very end here, if I haven't replied to your email, I really apologize. I started off intending to reply to every email that we received. Thank God our audience has become so big that's impossible now. We're getting literally well over 100 emails a day uh, into, into our fan mailbox. So if I don't get back to you personally, I apologize. Uh, Lindsay will try to do her best to get back to you and at least acknowledge that we have received your message. And maybe your reply will, maybe you'll get a reply in the mailbag tomorrow. You never know. B. Shapiro at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 